Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to Scream Queen, a podcast about scary movies. From people not typically depicted in scary movies. What's up, Dre? How are you doing? How are you holding up in the week 750 of the fucking goddamn pandemic? That's the exact number. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm hanging in there. You know, here I is with my purple mm-hmm. lipstick on, trying to just pretend like I'm having wonderful times during COVID. Mm. You know, just... Always, I'm always in the club in my head. Not that I miss the club, but. I've been going out on a lot of like generals on Zoom uh, with like people from different studios. And I had one with Amazon that was like pretty cool because all we did was talk about Tales from the Loop, Vast of Night, and The Twilight Zone. Because I've been catching up with The Twilight Zone. I, the first season, I didn't, I'd never watched the first season before. I just, I watched the second season after we were talking about maybe talking about it on this show. That first season, there are some really good fucking episodes. That one with Sanaa Lathan in the camcorder. There's some Jeez. really, really good episodes on that one. Yeah. I wasn't as taken with the second season, I would say. No, that's what I was telling you. I was just like, I, I, I even kind of took it off the, the schedule, but. We could talk about certain episodes, you know. I'm still down to do that, but as a as a yeah, I don't want to talk about the boring one. I don't want to talk about the bad ones. You know, I would just like to. There's the the Topher Grace one in the second season. That's cool. The, the one in the first one. season with the um with the uh, uh, uh like um that that Indian chick. It's like in Alaska, and it's like Greg Kinnear, I think. And there's like a dude. It's like what's his name? I haven't seen the first season in a while. Honestly, mm. it's probably something I should go back and watch again. Steven I remember like, like a Seth Rogen episode and wasn't it Seth, Seth and um, Zazie Beats for the last episode of first? Yeah, I didn't Seth, see that, it yet. I love Zazie. Yeah, that's the last episode I want to say of um, Twilight Zone. Okay, what have you been? Uh, what have you been imbibing culturally this week? Well, I've been watching a real life horror story called Immigration Nation on Netflix. Ooh, and I and. And, you know, I think it's required watch watching. You have to watch it. You have to understand that this is happening, like, right now. <laughs> and there's nothing normal about it. And, uh, you know, I happen to live so close to the border most of my life. Um, literally, out, if I walk outside my parents' front door, Mexico's right there. Like, it's, it's our backyard. And growing up, it was like, like, we were so close to the border, to give you a, even a better idea, people would come through our backyards at night, like families, and they would throw their kids over the fence, um, you know, just trying to get into California, trying, you know, just trying to get through, but not realize when they throw their kids over this fence, there's a giant drop. So Ooh. me and my parents, my, we, my parents would stay up super late at night, and, and then they started learning how to speak Spanish to them and to not scare them and to let them know, like, so we would give them water and food and whatever we could give them and say, go through our fence, go around through the gate. If you need to go this way, but don't mm. drop your kids over this way. But we, we were always just trying to do whatever we could. But um, I'm very, very close to this. These motherfucking ICE patrol people were just lifting people up off the streets, just in Chula Vista, not too far from here. Mm. You know, at the Chula Vista shopping center, they pulled in and just, you know, just, just snatching kids from their families. And like that is, those are real life monsters. Yeah, no, that, that's, that's the boogeyman. Yeah, yeah. And we know um, what the fuck they're doing, you know? I actually didn't realize how far south you, because I knew that you lived in, you went back to San Diego when the pandemic started. And so I just figured, I don't know, downtown or something like that. And then um, I sent Drea a shot glass with our faces on it from the Screen Queen, on one of the Screen Queen pictures. And she gave me her address. And I was like, 
Did this bitch is in Tijuana. <laughs> what is going on right now? You live in TJ. What's happening? <laughs> I, do. I do. I basically do. Um, I mean, I. it was normal to me growing up. And I was constantly in Mexico. Most of my friends were from, like, they would live there, but come to school here, you know? So it was just normal to me. Um, I stopped going down there years ago because it just it got dangerous and bad things happened. But, um, you know, just... Just uh, just stupid people that didn't respect that city. You'd hear about those stories and they ruined it for everybody. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Just bad tourists. I remember in high school, that was a place that you could take the bus to the trolley and then the, the trolley down and then you could go drink. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's messy. It's so messy. I used to be clubbing out there and like, when I was like 16, 17. <laughs> mm. Just ass out. No out. ass out. That's... <laughs> <laughs> But uh, but no, but for real, like this, this anyway, this documentary, like I, it's kind of amazing that these they're well, they're they only hire morons to feel to fulfill this position. That's the only kind of person that can actually take on this role, you know, because they literally they look at people as though they, they as, as though they don't exist, you know, and as they're as though they somehow are so much, you know, so much more superior. Well, the way that people commit atrocities and traditionally, I mean, like other places do, but like just an American project is to deny humanity from a group of people. Then you can treat them however you want to. So it's like Native Americans were just part of the landscape. If they're just part of the landscape, then you can yeah. just mow them like the grass. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, black people, slaves. That got that. That's three fifths of the person. That's You're not even a person. person. So Your it's okay. To do what I say. Yeah. Me yeah. and fall in line. And so if they're just like, oh, they're illegal, therefore they're criminals, therefore they're not human, therefore we can do whatever we want to them. Uh-huh. Like literally this, the, this shit that they allow their, themselves to be filmed saying, it's, it's crazy. Because it's, I mean, if this doesn't dismantle them, I don't know what will. Mm. Um, it's like the, the, the head of, I don't, they, there's so many heads, but the, really the, the main person that, that gives the orders is Jeff Sessions. You know, and so they they blame all the judges, but if the judges don't go along with it, they'll lose their jobs. Mm-hmm. And but then again, you know, it's like you could well then lose your job if they're telling you to do something horrible, you know, because it's it's completely it's an atrocity, and it, it just breaks my heart what they're doing to these people. And and know, the, the just, shitty thing is, it's like it's not even like gotcha journalism and it's not made up and they didn't splice together clips to get people it's, to say they things. literally are just giving up this information they're so they they all love to talk about oh yep i voted for the guy I, they're talking about trump they're like yeah like when it was obama in office they called him the deporter in chief but we've definitely uh d- deported at least double what he did and that's you know so it's like what the fuck that's what they and then on the they'll have phone calls with the documentary team like in the car and they'll get a call from the, the head guy in the office talking about, oh, I don't care what you do, but you better bring it at least two in. So we have a head count, at least two. And the guy to go from like, he knew you were in the car with me, right? Because that was a really fucking stupid thing for him to say. Mm. <laughs> Even the guy who out there doing this dirty job, he recognizes like, you know, like this is what the fuck, you know? And um, but yeah, it was just, I haven't completely finished it because it was, again, it's overwhelming. It's draining. It's sad to watch, but there's, um, it, it's, it teaches you so much and what it makes, it, and it gives you all the information and, and ways to get involved to prevent this shit. Mm. And that's, you know, and we all that, we have to get in the way to make sure these people are safe. That's one of those shows where like you watch an episode and then you have to watch two episodes of Bob's Burgers or some shit just to be like, I need to... Uh-huh. Oh, I need a fat blunt after. <laughs> <laughs> fat blunt. So what are we getting into this week, Drea? Um, this week we you brought it up to you know, because we've been it came out around the same time as this um we started our podcast, but we couldn't actually get access to the film. But we're getting into Scream Queen, uh my na- my nightmare on Elm Street. And it's about Nightmare on Elm Street 2 and the star mark Patton, and just the journey that that film took him through brand and, train on him basically <laughs> <laughs> and for our scream queen of the week it's miss tashiana washington and critters attacks 
One of the dumbest movies I've seen in a while. But honestly, this is what I get for making you watch fucking Resident Evil just to see Ashanti die for some crows. Oh, <laughs> and that fucking urban legend bullshit. Well, I didn't even watch that, though. I you only watch- watched, you watched the death scene on YouTube, bitch. You didn't watch the whole goddamn movie. <laughs> that was stupid. I hated it. <laughs> All right. Take it away, Tommy. All right. So Screen Queen, My Nightmare in Elm Street. Um, you know, again, this was like a... A spontaneous generation we came up with our title and they came up with theirs and we had nothing to do with each other and oh, yeah. they didn't get I theirs mean, from us so we didn't title get their title is a it's a known title everybody it's been a tv show there's other podcasts that have like a similar variation we are different and we can all share in the wealth so, so it's with the real story of what happened to Mark Patton um, after the, the release of Nightmare on Elm Street 2, Freddy's Revenge. Mark Patton played Jesse Walsh, who was the main character. Um, and, and he finds Freddy living inside of him. And, and as it says in the, the Variety review of this film, a flaming little secret Jesse doesn't want to come out. <laughs> so critics and audiences uh, picked up on the gay subtext that was written deliberately into the script by screenwriter David Chaskin, although he wouldn't go on to acknowledge that until no. 2010's uh, documentary on the history of Nightmare on Elm Street. He kept saying, it's not actually, I didn't write that into that. It. it was just a very gay actor who played it and blamed mm-hmm. the whole thing on Mark's interpretation of the character. And Mark was just like, actually, everything I did was in the script. and um, Or you encouraged it. Right. And so... The fallout of the criticism amid the AIDS crisis and um, just like rampant homophobia caused Mark to quit acting and then eventually leave the country and go to Mexico where nobody knew who he was or that he was an actor or anything. And what they talked about in the 2010 documentary about Never Sleep Again, the the documentary, he was actually the hardest person for them to find because they just literally off off the map, off the grid. Yeah, and so the movie kind of documents what ha- like the creation of like Mark's life beforehand, the the movie, and then what happened after, and how Mark returned to the spotlight thirty years later to a much more favorable political and social climate. Um, because after he did, because his one stipulation on doing the so some some they hired a um per, uh, private eye to find him in Mexico when they were doing the Never Sleep Again documentary. And he agreed to do the film if he got to confront David Chaskin on his flip-flopping of the reasons of the movie being gay. Mm. And yeah. And but so after that, he kind of, Mark went on a tour of all of these conventions and the documentary kind of follows him around on this tour as he's coming to understand that generations of queer people found yeah found an ally and 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 a a crush on you know jesse walsh and and found themselves represented in uh jesse walsh and i thought when this documentary was its best when it soared it was linking queerness and horror and why queer people find an outlet in horror in that like the final girl is always confronting the bully you know, and, and confronting the source of horror in their life yeah. as like as like queer people are um, not always able to confront the source of horror in their lives. Mm-hmm. And that's where the film, we find the film leads us to at the end, his biggest monster was this thing he made up in his head. And he put all this emphasis on this person and gave them too much power, you know? And really who was more of an asshole was the director the director, he such a piece continued, of shit. continued, Jack Shoulder continued to claim that he didn't know he yeah, was gay. Yeah. And even Coach, uh, what was his name? Coach Shields or Coach, uh, no, Coach Schneider, mm-hmm. um, who played by, what's his name? Um, Marshall Bell. He was even sitting there like, really? Like, you didn't pick up on the gay undertones, you grown ass person? Like, you know that that was, a, that was a gay bar that you went to, that you scouted out to, to perform this set. How did you not pick up on these things? What he said was like, oh, when I scouted it, there wasn't anybody it was in there. daytime. But in the but script- there's still chains. I'm still hanging, <laughs> dangling inside or whatever. <laughs> and the script literally said, this is what the, he said, it literally said transvestite bar. Uh-huh. In the script. Literally written into it. They described, you're saying you didn't, you didn't pick up on the undertones, but it's, there's no undertone. It's literally in the script to do the, these certain things. You're in a, you're dressed up in leather chaps. 
what are you telling me? Mm -hmm. <laughs> like you dressed up this character in leather chaps and you're telling me you didn't pick up on the innuendo. And then he sat in there and he said, and he proceeded to do like gaslighting shit to him. He said, you seem so like out of it during this, the, the recording of the film. You seem so like you weren't there. I don't want to say the wrong word, but something about when we recorded the film, you weren't quite present. And then after they had that meeting, the next day he proceeds to tell him, I find it quite strange that you still hold on to these feelings. Like yeah. maybe you should just let it go. And Lord, how many times as a black woman have, have I been told that shit, you know, and nobody to back me up. So I, at that moment, like, and not that I didn't feel throughout the whole film, but that moment, I knew that moment. Somebody mm -hmm. telling me something they don't even remotely have an understanding that the, the impact they can have with, with, you know, with just their carelessness. Yeah, because, well, I mean, I don't see it, it, so it must not be there. Yeah, like, I haven't been bothered by it for the last 30 years. Uh, I don't know. And the fact they haven't kept up with him to know everything that he's been through during that time since then, you know, like, he lost a partner during that filming. Mm -hmm. got AIDS himself or HIV got, got AIDS, and, tuberculosis yeah, thrush, a bunch of other shit he was like bed bound for years and like rec like he was re he the rec his recovery time over that illness was so long and you could see it on his body today yes like everybody else looked, it. he looked so youthful and happy and and he still has that energy in him but he, he, the years had like that the, all that with war on him and, and I understand that. I've been that girl that's hold on to, held on to shit because I never had the opportunity to say it. And then like, oh, you're crazy for, bring, for bringing it up years later. Mm -hmm. you know? But it's like, well, it still fucking bothers me. And you aren't aware that you did that, you know? So maybe it's, I, I'm not against bringing shit up. If, if it's productive and, you know, the, there can be more constructive ways to do it. I mean, he realizes like he made these men up to be way more than they were. You know, mm -hmm. they, they're not as powerful, even though they had this impact on him. He, like, he had this really successful thing going on. Like he was on Broadway with Cher and Kathy Bates and Karen Black. In a, in Robert, a Robert Altman, Altman directed production. Yeah. production that went to a Cannes Film Festival. Like, what the fuck? That, that know, got like, turned into a film. Yeah. You know, but he even admits like Cher gave me the best advice. He's, you know, and I didn't listen to it. You know, she said, and just be yourself and do and what, keep, you, what you need to do. Because that's what everyone else is doing. Mm -hmm. They're just looking after themselves. So you need to do that too. I thought it was so heartbreaking at the end when he was like, I don't have any friends my age because they all died of AIDS. And you're like, you were the final girl in your own life. That was fucking devastating. Yeah, that was devastating. I, as a point of of levity, I will say Kim Myers looks fantastic, and she still looks like motherfucking she Meryl looks, Streep. She looks, <laughs> she looks just like Meryl Streep. She does. Meryl Streep, you got a motherfucking doppelganger out there. <laughs> that shit is disturbing. She looks more like Meryl Streep than Meryl Streep's daughter. <laughs> like she, Mamie, don't have a thing on Kim Myers. <laughs> um, did did but, you? I, I'm curious, like. As a point of criticism, just a small point of criticism of this as a documentary, mm -hmm. I think I felt, you know, Mark's righteous anger. And I'm not criticizing Mark's anger. I'm not criticizing Mark's feelings. Right. But how do, you, how do you feel about a documentary about a person where that person is also a producer? Because... Um, I understand what you're saying because uh, there's so many documentaries that go into such a biased direction and uh, and I, it was his journey and he does and he got and I and I appreciate the story and I think his story is important and it's and what he's they outed a man 25 in 1985 who wasn't ready to be outed and it wasn't their place to do that and then they played stupid mm -hmm. and so yeah I, I don't have an issue with it at all. He sh yeah, I, I, hope he, I hope he gets credit for it and gets money off of it. He should. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm, what I'm... What, I'm, <sighs> what do you mean? I, I just mean... I mean, I think you know what I mean. And it's just that 
the subject matter, I feel like they at, at times were a little precious with him in ways that, you know, I think of, I think it was good, but I don't think it was excellent as a documentary. Like, I didn't, I didn't, um, it took me three times to watch a documentary because it wasn't what I expected. It's, it's, it's not, it, it's a, it's a drama. It, it's a sad story, you know, and it's not about, you know, everybody, you, you hear Nightmare on, on Elm Street. I expect just obnoxious over the top, you know, cool memories and images and lost, you know, footage, you know, like, and then, you know, oh, and this is the, the ruckus that we got into. The story's sad and it's real, and, but it's encompassed in this horror world. And um, what I appreciated about it was, I mean, it's such a vulnerable story. And, you know, today I was listening to Nicole Byer's show, Why Won't You Date Me? She had Roxanne Gay on as a, and she interviewed her. And shout out to Roxanne Gay. She was the first person who ever published me. Oh, wow. Yeah, she published my first short story in 2011. It was called, and can you believe this? It was called Sucking Famous Dick on the Rooftop of the Omni Hotel during oh, South by Southwest 2011. <laughs> Roxanne Gay was the one who published that in Pink Magazine back in 2011. Yeah, so there's a, a clear reason. I knew you'd appreciate me just bringing up her name in general. But she said, there was a thing, uh, a, the, a cardinal, not a cardinal, a... Uh, Bishop? The, uh, she put a thing in uh, a yellow, is it a yellow cardinal or yellow? She, she described the bird, but she put a, oh, canary. Her, a canary, yellow canary in her, in the book Hunger. And when she, she described her weight at, it, at its heaviest, she just put the number. And in every single interview mm-hmm. after that, everybody asked her about her weight. Even the, a woman that she greatly ad- admired at one point up until that interview, Terry Gross. Who I remember that interview to on Fresh her, Air. I remember that interview. your body to me. And she mm-hmm. says, I'm tall. I'm, and she, no, no, describe your body. No, I'm very tall. And, and um, she said the only person that never brought that up and, did, and owned the, who was worthy of that book was Trevor Noah. He understood mm-hmm. it. And, and yeah, he, he's such a good interviewer. And I really understand why he got the job he did. But um, I, 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 through, listening to that this morning and then re-watching Scream Queen today, you know, this man was exploited. And, mm. you know, and, but he, and he put himself out there hoping and trusting in this crew. And they did not protect him, you know, and they did not follow up. And, you know, if he had, you know, the same courageousness that... He is courageous to come back after all these years, but you know what I'm saying, to, to be like a, a, a Roxanne Gay kind of strength. You know what I'm saying? Where she, she is in your face all day. She can't mm-hmm. disappear, you know? Like, and no matter how hard she tries and she, she refuses to disappear. That kind of strength. Most, I, I had to learn how to possess that strength in my life and I'm still learning. And I, oh, let me tell you a little story. I almost got in a fight outside of the Larchmont Rite Aid two days ago. About Did what? I tell you about this? Talking about that strength to stand up. <sighs> so I leave large, uh, leave the Rite Aid at Larchmont. It's like, the, it's the closest Rite Aid to me. So it's the one I have to go to. And you know, Larchmont is one of the richest neighborhoods in Los Angeles. And so there were just like these four skinny white boys playing video games on their damn phone. And at least they had their masks on. So socially responsible. And then one of them looks up and was like, what's this? Is this ironic? And I was like, what's this what's that bitch and he was like oh so are we fighting and i was like fighting <laughs> you're like 15 the only thing you're fighting is acne bitch i still see your mama milk titty on your upper lip and like because like you know like i just i have i'm from a place where you know when people are liable to pop off mm-hmm. so you can see when people aren't going to Mm-hmm. That fucking bitch was not going to find me, not even with him and his four friends, no. you know, and I used to let people call me things and let them get away with it because I was scared, you know, and because I was mousy and because I was quiet. And, and that is not me. You don't always have that crew around you maybe to defend you. Or- right. Or like enough lived experience in your body. We talked about this yes. on last week's episode where it's like, 
the version, the 23 year old version of yourself versus the 36 year old version of yourself. And it's like applying. yeah. Yeah. And I had to get, I had to live a life for a while before I got to the point where I was able to t- tell people, you know, about check, themselves. You, check your mom milk titty on your lip before you come speak to me. <laughs> <laughs> and I, but the thing is, it was just so instinctual and second nature. It, it didn't even occur to me to not fucking, I was just like, I have let people like you call me names my whole fucking life. Hell no, 15 year old Larchmont ass bitch. <laughs> <laughs> But like, so I don't, I, I, I see like, I, I see why Mark as a 25 year old, cause the thing is like when he was in New York, he was out and then he had to come back in the closet when he came to Hollywood. And I can see why a person in that position. But I don't think he was out in his acting career per se. Like, I don't, I think within his working scene, he was like in Broadway, everybody's gay. That's like a known thing. But in Hollywood, that was different when he went that made that transition. Cause literally during the filming of Nightmare on Elm Street, they saw, they were like, uh, Freddie was putting his claw in his mouth and shit. And they were like, bitch, that looks gay. You're like sucking a dick. <laughs> that, that makeup artist who ran up to him and was like, you can't put Freddie's claw in your mouth because it's going to look like you're I wish him. they kept that scene in there. I wish it got, <laughs> shit got weird and kinky like that because they should have taken it there. They really should have. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, he, his agents came to him and they were like, we have to make you like the all-American boy, make you straight. Like, because you're just, they said after that, you're just a, a character actor. Yeah, because they were like, you, if you can't play straight, you're going to be a character actor. You can clearly carry a movie. Uh, but the ultimate carry is that then 30 years later, he's like, on this tour, right? And he's like, it's like there's a thwarted ambition. I mean, this, this, the sad thing is like, it's not that it wouldn't be an issue right now, but it would be much less of an issue. Yeah, absolutely. And it, some, in comparison to back then, during the AIDS epidemic mm. and Lord. What I loved about this documentary was the amount of cultural context it gave that film, but also horror in general, and that it was, especially 80s horror was a reaction to Reagan conservatism. Yeah. And, and that like, specifically though, with, um, you know, giving it the context of the socio-political climate, giving it the context of the AIDS pandemic, um, this, how could this not be a political movie? Well, again, it's two cis men writing a gay film it's a queer film they have no fucking business writing that film they have they don't know if it was gay men writing this film they would have promoted it the proper way and it would have gotten the proper attention they could have promoted it like fucking deep throat or some shit and it would <laughs> you know you shit. <laughs> but instead you got these motherfuckers up here who both seem kind of in the closet themselves like they I never mean, got to get out. That was the motherfucking powder and fucking Harry Firestein over there. Like <laughs> <laughs> he's a Harry Firestein. You Harry know Firestein. what I'm talking about. <laughs> <laughs> but like, um, what it did was actually made me more curious about Nightmare on Elm Street Part Two because it's like, why did they choose that one? Because like that had to go like just being in this town now and knowing how hard it is to get something made and how people are not willing to take risks because Nobody it's a financial investment. I'm just, I'm curious who made that decision. Like, it, Well, they said it was the original people behind the first uh, production. They, they hired uh, Charles and then, and they said we, and they were, they trusted him with his work and they signed off on it. Whoever they they, they said it particularly in there. So it was either the first, it must've been the first producers. Because something wanted. like, I would have understood something like, uh, Dream Warriors as like a sequel because like yeah. that has that has Heather Langkamp and it has well, the kids. There's and some literally more. no link between it. They just switched up the Scream Queen, made it you know with um what's his what's um Mark's name in it? Jimmy Jimmy Walsh James, James Walsh. Yeah, but um yeah, it's just it it didn't make any sense. But I never questioned that shit. I just those films don't have to be um so back to back they don't have to sync properly and I, but and, i like that it wasn't i like yeah. that it diverged from it but like for a franchise to take a chance that's what i'm like i want to know that story right. i want to know I how they got I think that it was just it, it was just 
a coincidence. You know, do you, you understand, like, you've made, you've written books, you've written, you've now worked <laughs> on a show, and you know, there's, I mean, you, it was a quick, you know, over, you know, during COVID, but even that, there's so much that goes on behind the scenes production just to get that shit made. It is a miracle. It, any film that you ever see out there in the mainstream, Typically, that's a miracle that it ever, it ever even got. For like, sure. Oh, 100%. Anything no. that gets made and that, that sees the light of day, you're right. It is a miracle. It's a yeah. modern miracle. Sometimes there's, there's the people who make those decisions, they get more credit than they deserve. You know, it's, things fall into the right hands, you know, and I, I've come to discover that over the years. I just as love it woman, as a cultural artifact. What were you saying? I mean, as a black woman in Hollywood, like I, I moved to L.A., thinking about getting back into acting and stuff like that. And after meeting a few producers and shit, you know, come to my house, blah, blah, blah. I was like, oh, this is not going to be my path. I remember when the first time I ever came to visit you and Becky, it was 20, 2009, maybe 2011, something like that. When you guys lived, like Drea and my friend Becky live like a block away from where I live right now in Koreatown. <laughs> Uh, it took me a year and a half to figure that out. But um, I remember when I was staying with y'all and, and we were, you know, because we get into our chats. Even back then, we get into our chats. And you were, you were like, I think in an acting class at the time. You're like, I want to get back into this. And I always, yeah. wanted, I always wondered what happened with that. People and horrible, horrible people mm. made me understand that I wasn't the, the path I wanted to take. And um, I didn't have it in me to put myself through that. I, I just, I had, it's not even that about having too much integrity. I just did not have the strength in me because I, I admire my black sisters out there doing it, Regina King and so on and so forth. So proud of them, but they had to go through hell to yeah. do what they're doing. And I, I just, I've been demeaned enough and put through enough shit. And yeah, I just understood what I saw it for what it was, Hollywood. And I'm like, oh, I want to be behind the scenes. I don't want to be in front of the camera. Yeah, like it's actually similar to something that Mark said in the in the in the um in the movie when he was like, when I saw those village voice reviews talk about this was the gayest movie ever, I heard every single person who ever called me a faggot in my entire oh, life. Yeah. And he was just like, I didn't want to be a part of that world anymore. And he was like, yeah. I just took myself out. And it's like some people can do the thing where they're just like you know, casually demeaned for 15 years and then they're like, have their payday or something or, or, you know, fulfilling the role. Like, I think that what happened was they said, uh, you know, he, he got a gay role after that and it was like, well, you're a caricature of who you are. And he was like, I didn't want to do that. And how do you, how do you assert dignity in the midst of being demeaned? You know, when you don't have the opportunity to choose the projects that you want to choose and have the ability to choose the writers who you want to write the character for you, or you don't have the clout to command a production studio. Mm -hmm. How do you assert your dignity in those moments? You know, and, and like our parents, our grandparents, our great grandparents literally had to figure that shit out. <laughs> how to have dignity in a world that wanted them dead mm -hmm. and continues to, to this motherfucking day. Cause if it had changed, we wouldn't be in the middle of a fucking uprising. <laughs> oh, Lord. Um, I would say that that last conversation in the documentary was awkward as hell. Yawns. Oh, I like, was like, I didn't tell you to scream like a woman, and, I just, and that look he gave. I'm like, bitch. I, <laughs> I was doing the thing that I normally do in scary movies, which I was like, oh no, <laughs> I can't watch this. It's too awkward. <laughs> I, I felt like the one in. The worst one was when the director called him out and, and tried or attempted to. That was so horrible. I couldn't, yeah. and, and you know, it was just that was like like that was like every other like woman, person of color, queer person, trans person, um, differently able person, etc., uh, having to conf like being confronted by their white male boss, mm -hmm. being like, I, I just don't. I think you're just, I think you're making there's something out wrong of a molehill. There's, there's something wrong with you. <laughs> there's something wrong with you because yeah. you can't let go of these things. Why am I feeling, why are you making me feel this way about how I made you feel? 
Like, why are you pointing out what I did to you? I don't appreciate that. You know, fuck you. So whatever you're that director's name, Jack, like eat shit. Shoulder, yeah. yeah whatever. <laughs> Jack and eat shit. And Charles, like, that wasn't an apology. That was like, and he, he proceeded to say, I knew gay people in the 80s and the 70s, and they, nobody was really out. So I'm like, then why did you proceed to write something like that? Like, what the fuck are you, what, why are you writing this? And I think he was trying to say in that moment, maybe he was trying to come out in that moment. <laughs> he was trying he was to like, drop oh some Oh my music. God. <laughs> let, me, let me tell you something. <laughs> you know, Jack Shoulder, that director, had no business running off his mouth. He looked like Nosferatu. <laughs> Who told him he had that goatee? That shit. Oh, you said Jack Shoulder. Yeah. And motherfucking Charles, though, that goatee on Charles. Oh, David Chaskin. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I can call him Charles. Who cares? <laughs> you don't need to know his motherfucking name. <laughs> Doesn't <it> matter. <laughs> don't say his name. <laughs> Shit. Uh, well, that, you know, it, it was it was a journey. Um, I was here for it. Oh, I'm not shitting on it. I'm just saying. Uh, I'm optimistic that in telling Mark Patton's story, the way that it has been told in this film, mm -hmm. um, that other people will feel seen. Then that's and what that, we got, yeah. yeah. People, and, and it was nice that he got to understand that. That, you know, this whole time he's been downing himself, people have been admiring him, mm. you know? And he only got to hear, to hear and see the rude comments. There were always good comments out there about that because I love that film forever. I never questioned that film. I always thought it was amazing. That bus scene at the end cracks me up, like scared the shit out of me. And I just, yeah, I am. Um... It's also remarkable as a, as a film in this franchise. It's the one where Freddie appears the least. Mm -hmm. Freddie has all of 12 minutes. In this and the film. whole scene, I thought, you know what, I, it's really weird. I, as a kid, because I saw, I saw this one probably more than most of them of the, of the franchise. And I, in my head, I always had an impression of there being a lot of deaths in it. And the pool scene is super violent because, you know, the water starts boiling and all that shit. But um, yeah, there's like very minimal, but it is like, but there's something very visceral and very real about it because you're getting involved in somebody's life and the, the growth of them and also kind of notable because in this one unlike almost every other one freddie doesn't kill people in their dreams mm -hmm. like he does like he doesn't he's he trying to get out into the world you know yeah he doesn't kill i can't remember that homeboy name he's the one who was also in weird science the one who was like the actual love interest as i like to say he was robert downey jr's homeboy uh yeah he uh he had such a good attitude about the whole thing Yes, he did. Everybody was awesome. They were all awesome. And like, I knew what I was signing up for. The only people that sucked were the director and the writer. Mm -hmm. But I really genuinely, he had a great attitude. Homegirl, uh, Meryl Streep Jr. had a good attitude. <laughs> and motherfucking Coach Snyder, uh, Marshall Bell. I was just... Well, because like, I feel like as probably as actors, they have read the script. I don't know how you could get out of not read like, well, he was like, well, I don't know what that is about. Like, it's literally there on the page. This, I'm, I don't can't fuck with motherfuckers who don't read. <laughs> Maybe uh, but we're, we ain't picking up, we ain't picking up on that bullshit. And I really very much genuinely just, I, overall, I'm happy this, this was made. I'm happy he got to have the resolution he needed and to realize he didn't have to let the world overtake him in that way but it was probably a positive thing for him to get away from hollywood because hollywood got, a motherfucker he finally got that apology and i think that's he what he really it. wanted he just um, needs to be acknowledged in that sense um, so thank you uh screen queen we share a name and we share a spirit okay tommy tell us about our screen queen well, um, you're the one who shares a namesake with this person. So Tashiana Washington as Drea in Critters Attacks. This was my entree to Critters, if you will. I'd never seen a Critters before. Um, also, also um, it was just the, a disturbing, I would say a disturbing amount of times that 
that people said Drea. And I was like, I don't think I've ever heard people say Drea this many times in a, an hour and a half of my whole life. <laughs> and it, it felt weird for me. So how did it feel for you? <laughs> Fucked up. It felt really weird. <laughs> yeah. But also comforting. Very comforting. Well, there was, you know, a namesake in a film. So Critters, this was like in 2019, I think, uh, that like some, some, some Critters have fallen to earth and then just start to As wreak havoc. Yeah. And, you know, have you ever like seen a guy that you felt so attracted to in something that you just had to take a moment to relieve yourself? Which one? The, the boy that she likes? No, Kevin, the guy, he's the delivery boy who dies oh, in like the first, cute. he was so cute. I was like, let me just <laughs> go take care of my moment. <laughs> I mean, he was he looked like, he looked hot and tall and brown. And I was like. <laughs> he didn't know he was giving a sushi delivery to the critters. I always knew critters like sushi, by the way. Oh, really? Okay. So you be knowing. Because, well, okay. So I told my, my family about this movie and they're like, we always knew you were a fucking gremlin or a fucking critter or whatever. <laughs> They're assholes. <laughs> Woo. Yeah, I'm like, I said, I star. I'm the scream queen. They're like, no, you a motherfucking critter. <laughs> With them crusty toes. Bitch, you ain't saying no crusty toes. <laughs> I hate you. Oh, uh, when, 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 when she said, like, her friend was like, because, uh, okay, so... This is like, Drea is like a babysitter um, on the night that these critters kind of attack. I was curious about that. Do you have any theories about what their mama was doing? Because she was like, I'm sorry, I got to go. And like, she gets a taxi. Okay. So this is, let me break it down. Let me break it down. This is, the way this movie gets away with what it does is it's, so this movie, if you don't know Spaced Invaders, which you should watch it, Tommy. It's on YouTube if you've never seen Spaced Invaders. But it's it's a made-for-TV 90s Horror, horror movie. And I would just like to point out the first time that you said that you said Spaced Invaders. What did <laughs> I a, say? What did with, I with a, T, with a D and a T, Spaced Invaders. <laughs> Is it called Annunciation? Uh, <laughs> a bitch. T- <laughs> I want to put a T at the end of everything I say now. I hate you. <laughs> um, and so Spaced Invaders, people, I know some people know what the fuck I'm talking about. It, it, it just... It, there's a certain type of horror film and also just the horror genre allows you to touch on points and to get reactions and also not be clear and be super fucking vague. And something really precious about the 90s that I liked were those movies that just were for fucking laughs and stupid. And this one, you know, it just, it's, it's all I want. A babysitter has to, you know, fucking take care of some fucking kids, but it's a mixed race, you know, so we got a biracial, like, uh, Two kids being raised by their drunk uncle and some their drunk white uncle. Yeah, named saying, oh yeah, their drunk white uncle in a podunk. I was gonna say a podunk white town, <laughs> and they're which Andrea is constantly reminded of the fact that her mother died in a car accident on the way to get her from a, car, a party or some shit. Mm-hmm. Um, her little brother Philip, he's obsessed with UFOs and listens to podcasts about UFOs all day, and he's trying to inform her. Shout and, out to podcasts. Not the podcast. <laughs> and motherfucking, when you bring in those those people, and then I just love, and Dee Wallace clearly only shot her parts in like a day or two. They were like, it, just, just, just to get her name, that must have cost so much. Mm-hmm. But also it ties in the story. So the original Critters films, like we, we talked about this earlier, but you know, like Leo DiCaprio's, that was one of his first big movies, was in like uh, Critters 3. Um, the kid that was in one that plays D. Wallace's son, I'm pretty sure he's in two, I want to say, but it's, um, he's a red, he's a ginger. He's a well-known ginger. I want to say he's, he turned into an alcoholic ginger, but I could be getting him wrong. I don't think he's the guy from like. Bill Burr? No. (laughs) Bill Burr's not alcoholic. Bill Burr's cool as fuck. I like Bill Burr actually. I do too. I'm just saying. No, it's not Bill Burr. He ain't. What the fuck is Bill Burr was not a, a, ch- a child actor, okay? So don't just be spouting out stupid shit. I'm just saying names of white people who might be gingers. Use that that noggin of yours, okay? <laughs> spouting out shit. I refuse. <laughs> but here's something, you know, to tie this into to Screen Queen, um, it, it went on to, t- that documentary went on to talk about how many um, famous people got their start in horror. 
Jennifer Aniston, Patricia Arquette, you know, like people like that, where it's like they're big movies. Brad Pitt, uh, they, Jamie Lee they, Curtis, uh, Lawrence Fishburne, that they, they got their start in something like this. Mm-hmm. I mean, why, again, we've always talked about this. Why is horror not taken seriously? And, you know, a thing I wanted to, you know, like he brought up the, the, that quote that I wish I could have taken a fucking just a class in horror. And I think I'm pretty sure there was a class at UCLA where Jordan Peele showed up and just taught a whole day. Oh yeah. That was Tanana Rive Du's class who, who was in um, uh, the history of uh, horror noir. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, when they, when you have the chance to, to hear these words. Yeah. Um, horror was absolutely a response to Reagan and conservatism and it, horror is just punk as fuck. Horror mm-hmm. is, it's rebellion. It's, it, it is, when, when people, I, I take pride. I, I wish, I, you know, I, I wear a horror patch, you know, even when you don't see it. Like, that, that's over my heart. Like, I, horror, it like, allows you to express a vocabulary you, you were not allowed to express, as they said in Scream Queen. Mm-hmm. And it's, it, it, you can say it in a way you're not typically allowed to say those things. I mean, it's like horror and also just like like sci-fi too which i also like which well they're is like, they're so we, closely blended they're different but closely blended and this critters is both yeah because like in, in sci-fi you can have a black woman on the helm of a starship when she wouldn't be able to go to a school Uhuru. with white people Uhuru. Uhuru. Yeah. <laughs> i want to say her shit with an accent Uhuru. but like it but in the real world would it be possible for that woman to go to a white school you know so Another, it's like um, imagination. Up shit, everything keeps going. I'm sorry, but you. That was my point. Oh, well, you said something about white schools. Brought me back. It's very funny that I happened to listen to this Nicole Byer doc, or her podcast today. She talked about going, um, going to boarding schools, being a Haitian woman, and how what it taught her is independence because she had to be there and support herself and to defend herself. And she said her black students, the, the other black students there, they got her in line real quick because she was really good at the studies. She, she, had, she did all the school, all the schools, everything. But these white girls with money just did not know what to do with her. And her having to blend into that community and into that, you know, it just taught her more than she. And when she went back two years ago, she spoke of um, the fact that as soon as she walked in, she realized that school hadn't changed at all. It was still the same place she left. Mm. And, you know, this, this girl, Drea, and, and, and Critters, she's striving to get into this school that her ex-best friend got into. And also, during this, her, she knows that her friend's mother died. If she got into this school, she stopped talking to her. So she's like, let me break you off with a little jab, little jabby jab. Mm-hmm, and uh, mm-hmm. so you know, I don't feel so bad about myself or how I. No, I got the hookup. No, I can give you. I can give you this thing to cover up for the fact that I haven't talked to you for two goddamn motherfucking years. Uh huh. And and then and when she says it's a babysitting gig, and she Drea reacted properly. A fucking babysitting <laughs> gig, bitch. Like, who do I look like to you? <laughs> you don't understand. This is gonna get you to other places. Like, I didn't ask you to give me no motherfucking handouts. Like that is. So like I could have been research assistant, like I could have been like something. And then else. towards the end, she's like, "Well, this will lead you to that." And then I also love when they they all she finally comes around after um, Drea is like kind of obsessed with homegirl's boyfriend. This that basic ass generic. Why did he fucking bitch. take his shirt off? Why did he take his shirt off? Uh, I wrote a note about that as he as it happened. I'm like, why is he taking his shirt off? <laughs> And why is she obsessed with him? But me, black girl growing up, I grew up in a very like beach white town. And what I, you, you, it's not that you strive for it, but it's like, it's your only option. So you, you, you know, it's like you get to a certain age, you're attracted to, 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 you know, your peers or whatever. Like I wanted to, to date, but all I had was just, I had really like, my options were pitiful. Yeah. And uh, there's a lot of bros in East County. 
they're all over San Diego, all over California, baby. They're all mm. over. It's not just East County. You got them KKK bros. That's what I I'm talking about. I got them special... military bros. Yeah, mm, I got it's them. It's a different flavor of bro oh, out there. Whole, I got them look them uh, the rock looking bros over here. But uh, <laughs> but they're just, they're all fucking stupid. Mm. And another thing from that podcast, Nicole Byer said the best thing before her mother, you know, both her parents died. And she her mother used to write her these really lovely letters and explain herself to her. You know, and she gets to hold on to these letters every day. Yeah. But her mother said, you know, you, why are you out here striving and looking for these men that don't find you, that they don't want you? So why do you want them? Like, do you find that man attractive? And she's like, no, he's got, he's like greasy looking. He got greasy hair and he's just like, <laughs> face and, fuck. and he's like, and I'm over here worried about him liking me, mm. you know, but I, I, that much, it annoyed me that Drea did that in the movie that she was like, hum, every time he touched her or take a shirt off, that was so basic and stupid. Yeah, you know? but and it, he had so many lines on his forehead. I was like, there is no way you are a 22 year old right now. <laughs> no, no, never. And I just love that he got rolled over by that, the big critter ball. That's my favorite. When the critter ball happens, because that critter ball, is a, a, it's like a sack of the killer tomatoes when it turns into big tomato. It's very... The Adamari Damasu or whatever that one garbage ball game is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's when his ass is like, I could run all day. He, he was too good at playing stupid. Actually, you don't have to. It's not hard to play stupid. <laughs> hard. I'm not going to give him credit. I just, uh, bruh, like, does wearing a shirt make you slower? I don't think so. You're just playing into the tropes. I get it. <sighs> he was like, I'm going to go super bro. It was just really a lot. It was a lot. And a weird balance. I like that Drea got a bigger mouth towards the end of the movie. She even was like ragging on ex-best friend at the end. Like, who, who got the most kills of Critters? She's like, ah, you did I. <laughs> <laughs> I also like that she learned how to babysit on YouTube, basically. <laughs> I was like, I fuck with an autodidact. I fuck with someone who was like, I'll just learn it on the way like i don't like you don't I also like, wanted to live be leave bianca in the woods she's like that is a wild animal just leave that fucking thing and i forgot that they right. named it bianca <laughs> <laughs> i want a bianca by the way we buy me a bianca for my birthday tommy okay 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 a bianca um, I want a Bianca critter. Give me one. Let me, I try to, one. let me try to figure out how. And I'll, I told you I want one of those, or I want that doll from What We Do in the Shadows that Natasha, uh, Natasha has. I want that doll. <laughs> I know what you do in the shadows, and it's disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I thought Drea as a character, like, she tried to keep it good. Like, I, she took responsibility. She tried to keep it on the level. She didn't overreact and she didn't underreact. I thought she did a good job of like, when it came to it being like, all right, I guess we're going to fight. Like there's, there was character development there. I love the fact that her and D finally met at the end, got to fuck some shit up. The critters were way more violent. It, like they, they, it's never been that bloody in any critters film ever before. That one dude who love. thought he was reaching for his motherfucking loofah a and loofah, grabbed a critter. A loofah critter. I love a loofah critter. I love a loofah critter. That shit uh, is funny. But the, there's never been like they don't think they even use like red blood in most of the films. They might be a little bit of blood, but mostly it's just like biting, and mm. and and it's more theatrical. But there was a weird mix of like. These cheesy ass looking puppets, which I love. They're supposed to look fucking stupid. And I and was honestly glad that it wasn't CGI. Yeah. Uh, practical effects were the shit. I love the practical effects. So effective. Uh, oh, the practical effects were effective. That's what I just said. So, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> but well, just... when you did work for me, I was happy. And there's a fucking movie about me. It's not me, guys. I promise. All black women do not look alike. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, somebody you that they they played you in the the movie version of it. Like you lived the real life version, and then Tajan Washington went and go play you in the Critters version on 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 the big screen or the small screen or the VOD or the on demand. She's whatever. diverse, and I'm I plan on getting more into her. She's also been in. Uh, she was in that recent series on HBO, Betty, and she was also I believe she had a role in Skate Kitchen which I really liked. And um, yeah, she's, she's pretty awesome. And fucking Tashiana, she's a Washington. We find a Washington. <laughs> <laughs> I also, like you said before, I liked that her, 
um, that her being biracial wasn't something that they felt like they had to explain. Mm-mm. He just has this white uncle named Willis and a black mama. And it's not like, oh, but how did... What? There was, there was no white lady math meme that was like, this is how we figure out somebody's racial identity. I like that they just let it be. Most of the times in films like this, I like it when they don't try to fucking explain every goddamn thing. I agree. So I'd say overall, I'm just, I, I also, I will admit I found this film because I was looking up, uh, I set Google alerts for my name. So. <laughs> <laughs> Hello listeners. Love you or viewers now because we're on two different platforms. Next week, where we come back, same time, same place, where our main discussion topic will be the Dave Franco movie Rental with Sheila Vand, a former Scream Queen of ours. And our Scream Queen of the Week, we had done her before in season one, and we don't mind doing her again. <laughs> Lupita Nyongo, this time a little monster, a zombie film. And that yellow dress is iconic. I got to say, it looks really good on her. <laughs> you, she's so funny. Listen, uh, just pretty colors like that on dark skin. Just, it's just, you can't go wrong. I remember like a, a while ago, Lauren had told me, oh, it was when Sparkle came out. And the, the new Sparkle. And there was like a music video for maybe it was given to some people. I can't remember. It was like one of the, the songs in that movie. And she was just like, man, popping colors on black people is just my favorite thing in the whole world. <laughs> Screen Queen is produced by Alexander De Palma and Domino Sound. With theme music by Doc Allison. I am Drea. I'm ready to snatch a bitch's eyes out, mother. <laughs> <laughs> Keep going, keep going, keep going. It was good. Keep going. I will snatch a bitch up like that. I swear to God. At, uh, I love Washington. Maps. That is my whole middle name. It's on my <laughs> motherfucking birth certificate. Um, you can find me on the gram at Hey Girl Hey. That's H E Y G R L H E Y. And I meant my motherfucking words. <laughs> I am Tommy. Uh, Bitch, you're 15. The only thing you're fighting is acne pico. And <laughs> you can find me at Hey Teebs on Instagram, H-E-Y-T-E-B-S on the gram. And that bitch tried me. I could not believe that he was about to do that. He got a titty on his lips, too. <laughs> you got your ass titty on your lips. <laughs> uh, you can find us on Instagram at Scream Queen Podcast. And online at ScreamQueenPodcast.com. Send us some love notes, some correspondences, you know, talk about mm, some role playing. I don't know. Do what you want to do. We want to feature some of these letters at some point on the show. You might be a part of one of those segments at screamqueen at gmail.com. That's S-C-R-E-E-E-M queen at gmail.com. Also wanted to throw out, we're going to be making a Scream Queen Google voicemail. So y'all can send in some questions or you know we're going to be throwing out questions actually and then you can give us your answers through there yeah we want to know like what are the some of the 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 scariest moments of you in the theater because i remember one time after i saw i still know what you did last summer it was a funny scene but when jack black rastafarian ass got uh uh uh, cut up by those pinking shears i actually had to leave the theater and (laughs) (laughs) i know so maybe tell us some funny ass disgusting stories from when you had to see a scary movie in the theater it's like the time producer alex took an edible before seeing annihilation and had a full-on panic attack and had to leave (laughs) don't do that guys don't do that that's we love you alex but that's stupid (laughs) and in the scary movie of your life you better Scream, queen. It was all right. We did. It was a good job. No, we did. It was good enough. Tommy took one of my lines. That was my line you said earlier. I was on the thing and I see you said my fucking line. What was your line? It says, in the scary movie of your life. It was my line this week. Just so you know. Are you looking at the doc right now? Yeah. It says, Teebs, in the scary movie of your life, you better scream, queen. Oh, yeah, you're right. (laughs) Vindication! (laughs) 
Oh, I can edit so, this any way I want to edit this, and I can make it look like you're wrong. So don't worry about <laughs> it. <laughs> hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 